today for those who are listening, you know, later to this, the intent of this is not to do a sermon. It's not to try and, you know, pile on things, but the message is, is I just felt this word come to me this week around Father's Day, but it, it was confessions of a fatherless father. And that was talking about my myself, lessons learned. And if you ponder it, <laughs> most of us grow up without a knowledge of God being our father, but we can definitely have human fathers, but I didn't have that. So my journey into fatherlessness, into trying to be a father without not having anything to relate to um, has revealed a lot of neat things for, for me along the way. And I thought, I, I've, some of you have heard of this song called It's Mercy Me Song. And it's welcome to the new, it's an old album, but it was when they began to experience grace. And one of the songs on there is him saying, dear younger me. And he, he says what he would want to tell the younger version of himself now that he's experienced grace. And uh, what would I say? What, what would I tell myself if I could know what I now know and transport it back to when I was in, you know, young, what would that be? And of course, it, it conjures up a bit of things. It conjures up a sense sometimes of regrets. Like, I wish I could have. I wish I could have done that and, and those kind of things. And especially when it comes to fathering and children, like we were just saying earlier, that when I got pulled in back into ministry 20-some years ago, the stats didn't look good. North American Christianity wasn't growing. Um, and the stats were 9 out of 10 kids that went to church or when Sunday school and churches were not going to be in churches in their teens or their young adult years. And I remember thinking I wasn't raised in the church, so I wasn't that domesticated to the concept of church being a Sunday thing, being the center of everything. And, uh, but I began when I did come to faith and I stepped in, um, the one I stepped into seemed to have lots of life, lots of things were going on, lots of people coming to faith. And, um, and then we had all these young adults, 350 young adults, and nobody was dating. Everybody was just living. And then this word came, and it was, um, oh, there's going to be some marriages come out of this group. And uh, sure enough, um, I think there was, I'm trying to remember how, 48, at least 40 or 50 weddings within a two-year period of this group. And everyone gets married in you know mid-June to mid-September. <laughs> and so there was a lot of weddings. You know, you got invited to four weddings and you're having your own on the same weekend kind of thing. It was one of those crazy times. But the interesting thing was that, you know, uh, the reality was you start stepping into this new world. Why is it that children won't be in church in their 20s back in those days. And they, they kind of said a few years ago, but don't worry, that generation will come back when they start having children, when they get married and have children, because they'll want to come back to their core roots and their values. And, uh, but guess what? That's not happening right now. And we're in the middle of a 500-year shift, and that's a whole other conversation as to why. I've been studying a lot for the last few months and it's quite profound. But one of the statements that I'll say is that a lot of people have left traditional rigid Christianity. We'll use that language. It makes it sound harsh. But a lot of people said, oh, they're leaving because they've lost their faith. Kids are losing their faith. Teenagers are losing their faith. 
in some cases, some would say now they're actually being drawn away to preserve their faith. That sometimes it's not all it's cracked up to be that the center of, and it's really not about meeting as a church or church on a Sunday. Those are not the issues. The issue is the deeper reality that life is lived from the heart, not from the mind, not from a, an obedience-based relationship. And we're going to talk about that today as it relates to fathers and parents in general, because part of the biggest thing that we're seeing is if, if us as parents are operating from a place of fear or just kind of what, what gets passed on, you know, you can teach what you know, you can impart these, but you'll always impart who you are. And, uh, and so it's one of the biggest things. So today, us on screen here, feel free to jump in and offer some comments. You'll have to wave your hand or, or hit the uh, reactions button so you get my attention um, when I'm talking. So we're going to go after this. Confessions of a fatherless father, that's from my perspective. But we're going to talk mostly about, well, what does it look like for those out there who are going to hear this and they're starting families or they're partway through it and now they're starting to run into some of these things. Um, and we've got amongst us on the screen here, a lot of experience, <laughs> not necessarily, uh, what you'd call great experiences, but every experience teaches us and we learn from, right? Everybody nod your head. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm going to start with this, but, uh, this is the most real time adventure you'll ever come to. Lance has taken some of the men through. Uh, of course, with John Eldridge, and he talks about the three adventures in your life. And, and the biggest one is the adventure of living with as God is your father. But the other adventures, your, your callings, your giftings, your, the daily adventure of just wanting to be, have your soul refreshed, get out on a nice day like today and go walking or biking or go to the lake and hang out, whatever it is. But then there's the adventure that, okay, what's inside of me? What's made me... What's God put inside of me? And maybe it's to start a nonprofit, maybe help a part of the world get water that it doesn't have water. Or there's just so many things usually involve some of our vocational choices and things like that. But I guess it's the same old truth that whatever you choose to follow in your adventure, whatever you choose to work on, God will use that to work on you. Because he's after something. He's after, basically, one of the most prime things is to get rid of fear. Because it's just, it's not a part of his nature. Do you know all our emotions, joy, happiness, gladness, even jealousy, um, uh, anger, all those things that we emote are all within him. There's nothing that we're not emoting in that that's not within him. But there's one <laughs> that he is not have that we have loads of, and that's fear. It's incredible. As soon as they ate from the wrong tree, as soon as they said, we're going to leave the atmosphere of love, that makes room for fear. So we'll start a little bit like this. When we get talking about parenting or fathering, it gets kind of interesting because you know, he's our father, biblically speaking, and, and in reality. So what kind of father was he like? What kind of parent? If you go back and you, you start recognizing there's some odd things when I first started looking into this, 
as a young believer and, and getting married and realizing, you know, we're going to start having kids. I'd never dreamed of having kids when I was a kid. I just then, okay, this is a natural byproduct, <laughs> but how do we do it? Well, God, what kind of father were you? And what do you mean? One third of the angels left. Like how, what kind of parenting was that? <laughs> how is it that, that that happened and there doesn't appear to be any discussion about how it happened or why. And then Adam and Eve, if you will, the first human children of God, you know, you, you do the genealogies and it, da, 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 so-and-so was the son of so-and-so and Cain and Abel were the son of Adam and Adam was the son of God. So here's, here's Adam and Eve didn't have her name till after the fall, the first kids, one with him in the cool of the evening in the place of pleasure Eden means pleasure and life and love and yet they goof it up what's wrong is it the parents fault what's going on and one of the things when you start to realize that this this is not about guilt and but when we leave when we're outside of the bounds of love outside of that circle fear enters I'm not good enough I need to do more how do you do this it's, it's quite profound, and it's the one attribute you'll never find about God. He doesn't fear. Uh, and yet, but he knows we do. And so now he has to use the one thing that's so solid in our life at first to get us going. Fears of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end. And so any of us can relate, whether it's marriage or parenting we're just getting like how much fear we have from time to time. Am I doing it the right way? How do you do this the right way? Oh, I did it. The, a fear of what, and he's after that, like a, I don't know, fill in the metaphor. It just doggedly going. I think, uh, let's Arlene, you said this at one time, a long time ago, but, but I remember saying fear is the thing that opens the door to a whole host of demonic lies and pressures and, the minute you go to fear, you're not, you're just, your heart is telling you you're not in security. And so you're going to grab for anything that pro provides some type of security, whether it's, it's, you know, superstition or whatever. So, but here what's happened when you become a parent, this is my little story, but when you, when I became a parent, I wasn't trying to become a parent. I meaning when, <laughs> when I was dating my wife uh, or wife to be, um, I wasn't thinking I'm dating her to, to, to one day learn how to be a parent. I am looking for love. <laughs> I'm looking to be loved. I am, yeah, I'll, I'll try and be loving. But mostly it was the, our greatest longing is to be seen and known. And our greatest fear, interesting enough, is to be really seen and really known. And so this journey begins. And then one day you realize, okay, scripturally and all obviously normative things children are a natural byproduct of of intimacy and love and and then you realize how are you going to do this i don't know if any of you can relate to this but um i remember our good friends were doctors and they had three children and while she was in med school and she had him in the two weeks off and those times they only had two weeks off in med school for four straight years and she had a child in each one of the breaks and i uh, they were christian friends and i said how do you yeah, man, that's just so lucky. <laughs> and she goes, no luck at all. You know, here's the stats, 85% possibility. You can, you can, you can plan your household. Proverbs says a wise woman plans her household and I'm the woman in the household and I'm planning when to have my kids. And I was like, 
okay. Um, and then she told us how, how the science of that day and how you could, how you could influence, if you will, the potential of having when to have your church, obviously nine months kind of plans. If there's, you know, I'm getting all the science of it, but, but even possibly the sex with a 80% possibility of determining whether it's a boy or a girl by, and I, she told it all to me. And I remember being just this new Christian. I've only been a Christian for a couple of years and I'm looking at Jen and I said, so, uh, so when do you want to start a family? Like you're the, you're the woman and you get to plan it. <laughs> and uh, she goes, well, you know, I, I think I'd like to, you know, have a child in the spring, like April and, and we'll, then it, that when it's hot, we can go outside, but if it's in the wintertime, it's hard to, you know, take a little kid out and well, it sounds reasonable to me. And, and I, and I said, according to this method, you, you have to, I have to ask you how, how regular you are, how, <laughs> and, and chart it all out. And so I did all the charting out and I said, if that's the case, and I circled the date on the calendar and I said, so this is the date if we're going to have, you know, why there's more girls in the world than there are boys because of the potential around this thing. So I won't go into the science of it, but that's how it was for us. The first go we're out camping somewhere in Ontario. And I remembered, Oh, Hey, what's the date today? Oh, is that, that's the day. Didn't we circle this on the calendar like a few months ago and sure enough, boom, just like clockwork. And I remember I'm in an all night prayer meeting with our young adult leaders uh, about two months after that. And we had gone for the date to shoot for the boy. And so I'm in this all night prayer meeting, it's about two in the morning. You know, we think we're all hot stuff praying in the middle of the night, but you start falling asleep. And you <laughs> and then all of a sudden, God speaks to me after I had this incredible fear. I remember thinking, it's going to be a boy. Like it just, it just dropped into me. And I now look back and go, it was God. And he didn't tell me that to kind of tell me, you know, what the gender was. He did that to reveal something about me. I had this incredible fear come up that I had been raised by 13 females. I had two, my father died when I was four months of age and then biologically. And then my father, my mom remarried when I was 12 and that lasted six months. The guy turned out to be schizophrenic. And then she remarried when I turned uh, 18 and uh, just around that time. And then I moved out. And so I was thinking I've been raised by all my, my female roommates of, I know how to raise a woman, a girl, but I have no clue. And this fear struck me. And this is, this is really important. This is where all of a sudden I realized Psalm 27, when, when David says, when my one version says, when my father and mother forsake me, it could be a death or it could be because of circumstances or it could be older, whichever I will, I will lift you up. I'll take care of you. I look back now and I realize for me, God started taking care of me you know, we know he knew us before the womb. He, he formed us, but he intervened at the funeral of my, of my father. And spoke to my mother and told her, don't let anyone take this child from you. And she didn't have the means to raise a child in those days. And so I lived with other families, but I always stayed with her on weekends. And so all these, I look back now and I go, he had this incredible journey. He doesn't just intervene when you quote, come to faith. 
he's been working from the beginning of time, from all the way in the garden. And for those who've been to an A school or one of those, you can hear some of that story. But for us, how does it affect our parenting? Well, for me, it was super scary. And then realizing it was going to be a boy, and I thought I had no clue. And I heard him say to me, uh, I will be a father to you. I'll show you. And I remember it just gave me such peace. I didn't even know that verse existed until about five years ago, that it's actually in the Bible. But I didn't know that, of course, the Holy Spirit's going to teach your heart. He's going to bring peace to you. And so I remember for those who have had children and you remember those moments, depends on what it was like for me. I wasn't having to give birth, but I'm all keen, man. I'm all excited. And Jen's having a good pregnancy. And I bring the camera into the delivery room. I stand at her shoulder. She's going to give birth. And, uh, and sure enough, and I start snapping pictures and the flash is going on. And, but I didn't see anything. I was just bawling. Just, I couldn't stop tears coming out of me. And I wasn't trying to, but as we now learn, tears are always about love. Sometimes it's, it's the hurting, the heartbreak of love. And sometimes it's the joy of love, but they're, you know, and I sitting there, I never got to see any of those pictures, by the way, they were quickly confiscated by her when they came back and thrown somewhere. <laughs> of course I had, but I remember that day I left that her at the hospital. I went driving and I was overwhelmed with this incredible sense of life. Like somehow I'm involved in creating life, but I didn't plan to do that. It wasn't in my, it wasn't a teenage thought. It, God brought life and now overwhelming joy. And then literally within 30 seconds, overwhelming fear. I'm responsible for life. Oh no. What, how do you do this? All of a sudden, I was, I don't know if you had pre-thought it in your days, for those who've had children, but for me, it all hit literally within a few hours driving around and, um, and it really, really struck me. Um, fear, I just, I'm going to address this for those who are going to listen to this. I'm guaranteed, there's so many things. I've got books and books that I tried to learn. Okay, how am I going to do this and try to figure it out? But along the way, he did do what wow. he said. I will show you. And one of the things though, but I would still didn't trust. I didn't have a, a relationship in my heart with God as my father. I just knew him as, you know, I knew technically the term I, I I'd read my Bible that our father who art in heaven, but as we all know, that doesn't mean that, you know, anyone who's ever adopted a son or a daughter, or uh, we know some friends right now that are adopting and when you get that child, if it's a growing child to a certain degree, a certain age, that child doesn't just all of a sudden go, oh, thank you. I now receive love. They still will carry their dynamics of their, what, what shaped them. And, and so I didn't know that was going on in my heart and all these things. But boy, fear is one of the biggest things for anyone who's wanting their children to grow up knowing God. I, I think that's a pretty natural one when I after you're kind of having children, then you're realizing, and then remember that stat I said, when I was now aware of the stat of how many children don't follow the Lord, I was, how do we, how do we fix that? How do we make sure that doesn't happen? And that came out of a spirit of fear. I, uh, I was on the board of a Christian school for a while, and it didn't take very long for me to realize that the majority of the parents 
um, it was fear that was operating to have their children in that school. It was great education. It was great. Uh, lots of positive motives, but I remember um, talking to some of the parents and saying, so explain, Oh no, I'll never let my kids go to a secular school. And I go, Oh, why is that? Oh, well, I, I just, they're going to get eaten up by the world. I have a fear. They won't be, they won't know how to st stand there. And I thought, is this, is this how we're supposed to be parents? Is this what it looks like to, to raise kids to be in fear about? Um, and it, the, the sad part was, you know, kids will be kids. Kids will have to go test the waters and fear will, you cannot, there's no such thing as perfection uh, from fear. Remember, it's the one thing that God does not have. And it's the very, uh, it's the product of non-love. Okay, so if there was one thing to say to all those that are parenting or are going to parent or who are parenting, whatever age, whether we're grandparents or just starting off, is fear is not the substance in which you want to build from. It's going to be love is the place. Um, I remember along the way, and I'll just give you a couple examples, but uh, fear of having children. I, I remember after two I think we're done. <laughs> we're done. Because I thought, logically, one parent, one child, you know, it's conquer and divide. You know, if it ever gets to those days where everybody's screaming and yelling, at least. But man, I'm, you know, uh, some of you remember that Han and his wife, they were part of U Church and they had triplets, their first go around. And, uh, and they're, they're doing great. They're living on the island right now. And but I remember going over and helping them one day and you got these three babies lined up on pillows and it's like this, you know, who gets the bottle next and who's getting their diaper changed and, and they have gone from no kids and didn't have very good parenting knowledge themselves. It was just carnage. And I'm going, Oh my gosh, um, two, two's good. One per, you know, why fear? Why wouldn't we want, you know, it's, I don't want to have provision. I don't, I want to be able to provide. I mean, the fear that come that comes up just keeps growing and growing and growing. At least it did for me. And uh, I just remember we're camping one day and you remember these moments because you know, God shows up and he addresses your fear. Let's put it this way. God's after our fear. He wants to expel it. If he's going to transform us into whom for us to become who we really are and live in his love, it's, it's imperative that he focuses on getting rid of fear. And the way you do that is revealing it first. You can't, you know, listener, you know this, you can't heal what's not revealed. And so I was kind of like Peter for a while. I'll never deny you. I have no fear in my heart. I'm going to, God, you're great. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do that. I'm going to put those yellow stickies on my bathroom mirror, you know, memorize the scripture and, you know, mantra it around a few times and we can do anything. We can get through all of this. And, <laughs> but then you read the story of Peter. No, no, no. I, I, I'll die for you, Jesus. I, I will sacrificially love and give my life, he says. And Jesus just smiles at him. Can't wait till this comes up in the chosen scene at some point <laughs> and how Jesus deals with it. But he just looks at him and, no, 
you know, you're going to actually deny me. You don't even know what's in you. You don't know you have fear until there's pressure. Part of parenting, guess what? <laughs> it's about revealing where we're really at. It's not about getting it together. It's about living authentically in it. My little short story, my fear was Jen was raised in a family of three and she wanted three. And I went, no. Our first, you know, moment. And I'm, and I'm giving all the logic. All my wonderfully calculated fears have all been worked out into wonderful logical statements. And, um, and she is not budging. <laughs> and she gets up off her chair in the beach and she, it's now the, got the fire going, the moon's out. And she says, you know, Brent, um, I just was hearing God and he's just telling me you're full of fear about this. I am not. <laughs> she goes, yeah, he said that. Anyway, I'm going to go walk and you can talk to him about that. <laughs> and she walked away and I am sitting there. And all of a sudden it just be, I just had one of those honest moments. I am fearful. What am I fearful of? And of course it was all the things that I had grown up with a fear of lack and a fear of this and a fear of that. And, and now I think of Amy as our, I can't even imagine if I'd gotten my way, I wouldn't gotten to know her. And not only that, the people she's affecting right now, the, the, the amount of people that she's impacting right now through her cancer and how she's now doing things for them. has been amazing. And they're getting hope and, and non-Christians, if you will, don't know love. And they're, they're, she's doing podcasts and she just, Start a job last week at um, at at the mustard seed, and I and I'm thinking, God knows, and I needed to have my fear addressed. Then we come along. Next thing you know, I leave the corporate world. I I go from there. Gone. We had staff in a church for a while. wasn't getting paid. I got fearful again. I told my wife. I said, "We're not giving any more money to the church." <laughs> And uh, she says, yes, we are. And I said, no, we're not. We can't even put milk on the table. And she goes, nope, I trust God. I didn't, she had a different level of trust and faith than I certainly did. And because of, and you'll hear it later, because of her dad and how she was parented and what he showed her. Uh, I'll just say, he. She, I would go by when I got to meet him. On Saturday night, if you looked in his study door, if you left it open, you'd see him on his knees praying. And every Saturday night, he'd be stuffing an envelope with cash. He literally took, you know, we're trusting God um, weekly. And I remember going, I can't do that. I can't do that when I'm, I'm charged to put food on the table here and da, 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 da. And she goes, my wife didn't have all the words at that point in time, but she was trying to help me to understand that, Again, you're in fear. You're trying to lean on your understanding. You're trying to take it into your own hands. I didn't know the, I, I knew the verse was there. But if, when you read Luke, you know, don't worry about, you know, the food on the table and don't worry about this and don't worry about, look at the lilies of the field and the birds. And yeah, those are nice flowery verses. But at that point, my heart was like, we're going to provide for kids. <laughs> And I'm grateful that God again prevailed in me and drew me into trust. The next thing was now our kids, next thing you know, 
I'm invited to come and speak and tell my testimony on the University of Calgary. 12 kids in the worship team and seven in the audience and what was the seeds of you church. And next thing you know, God tells us to start going there at 38 years of age. And besides Catherine Williams, I think there, there wasn't anybody else uh, except a couple of couples with kids that have since gone and moved and doing things for the Lord other places. And all of a sudden I found myself now with three kids and our Amy at one point was the only kid in Sunday school, if you will. And I'm thinking, we have friends, that we, you know, they all go to a nice church down the street, have lots of youth group stuff and things for kids. And, and I'm thinking, I'm starting to feel this tension. How do we do this? If, if this is what church life is supposed to be, isn't it supposed to be also doing something like create these programs for the kids? And again, God intervened. And I got invited down to Nashville and Jim LaFoon, this prophetic man just calls and I'd never talked to him personally, um, but he, oh, I had, but not personal and personal. He says, Brent, you and your wife need to come over. God told me you need to come over. You need more anchors in your life. And I, we're driving over and I, I said to my wife, this guy's an intimidating guy. <laughs> Are we cool? Is our marriage okay? Because I don't want to be, you know, having to deal with this prophetic, you know, just, oh, yeah, okay, get there. Takes me to study and he says this after we have our little chit chat and he's telling me all the, the people that he never gets to meet, but he disciples. There are the 007s of America who are Christians who have a license to kill. Interesting. But they don't want to because they're Christians. And so he's telling me how he's discipling them and their Taliban and all this stuff. And then he just stops and he looks at me and says, so Brent, God's told me to give you my Bible and my personal Bible. And he's told me that you're afraid for your children. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm like, Peter, no, I got no fear. Everything's cool. And he just, I love how he just presses. He just goes, well, uh, you know, I know those two other families with the kids, the, the Headleys have left and the Burton Chile have moved and taken on new assignments in the body of Christ. And, but you're worried about your kids. You think they need a youth group. And I went, no. And he goes, yes, you do. You think that you think a youth group is going to disciple them. And I was like, and all of a sudden it struck me. I was worried about that. I thought that that's how, that's how the system works. And, and he says, you know, he says, no disrespect brand, but most youth groups are cesspools. And it's not because they're trying to be. Jesus was perfect. And yet, even the disciples didn't get what he was trying to show them in, for, for three years until what? Until the spirit of sonship, until Pentecost, until that hits them. They had no, there's the likelihood of that youth leader and, and helpers in there being able to live exactly like Jesus and beyond to help your, he said, that's not, and he just he just straightened it right up. He says the number one thing is parents. You you have the primary role in their lives. And he says you don't need to have it right. You just need to live it authentically in front of them. They have to see you wrestle his words through the tension of you trusting him. It's got to be authentic. And I just I'm so grateful for that conversation. I was. Uh, 
I look back now and I go, um, if I was attending U church in those days and I had kids and there was no other kids, I guarantee I would have had a conversation with my, my wife trying to convince her, let's go find a church that has something for kids. And cause there was couples that had come with their kids and that was there and they would leave. And I was like, but I look back now and I go, Oh my gosh, our kids got to watch us wrestle through this and, and grow through this. And, and, um, by, by no means were, were perfect, but those fears were real. I want to read you this little section from, from Wayne Jacobs book about how powerful the force of fear is. Um, fear permeates life in this age. It's what makes you go to work in the morning and lock your doors at night. It makes your heart race when a policeman pulls up behind you. Advertisers use it. And so do friends and family when they want you to do what they think is best. And there is so much to fear. And he lists some things. We fear the unknown. We fear being unknown. We fear not having enough. We fear getting caught. We fear we'll never find the right person to marry. We fear debilitating or life-threatening diseases. We fear for our children's safety. We fear for what other people think of us. We fear they won't think about us. We fear we'll be left alone. We fear crime. We fear losing a loved one. We fear authority. We fear that we can't, we won't get the things we desire most. We fear what others might do to us. We fear rejection. We fear failure. We fear being taken advantage of. We fear being alone. We fear losing our jobs. We fear people finding out we're not all we claim to be. We fear something bad might happen to us. We fear not fitting in. We fear death. No wonder it's easy to have some sleepless nights with this much going on. Fear. God is after fear. God knew in the human race that fear was now in sent. This is what we will call orphanness. And he even used that to bring us, to guide us, to bring us to the place of where, what's the opposite, where love is. What does Jesus say to us in, in Luke 12, 32? It's very clear what God's after. Do not fear, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It, when we look back in our lives, parenting, church perhaps, relationships, religion, oftentimes fear is behind it all. I remember when I came, I had not known fear in my Christianity until I started, I came back to the city a year and a half after I became a Christian. All I knew was working in a camp and I had a Bible and a guitar and I realized my father, my heavenly father was teaching me everything I need to know, bit, bits and pieces. So obviously I still had lots of fear to get through, but he didn't treat me and try to scare me. I come back to the city and I remember turning on a Christian radio station and I was driving down Crowchild Trail and I, I'm hearing this guy go off about, you know, why, 
you know, turn or burn kind of message. You're on a grease pole to hell. You're, you're, you need to, and it just was fear, fear, fear. Some of you may even know of that famous sermon that is now being debunked a bit in a sense was, you know, um, sinners in the hand of an angry God, you know, and that's now being rewritten. Uh, I'm getting calls from people drawn from different places of the world recently who are coming out of that kind of stuff. And for some reason they end up talking on this radio program, the guy's just going off and I'm like, is this what I miss? And is this, is this the thing that I'm supposed to fear going to hell? And, and that's what's going to motivate evangelism and all that stuff. And it's the famous little, you know, you've seen the cartoon of the guy he's in a house and Jesus is outside and he's knocking on the door and he's, and the guy says, who is it? And he goes, it's Jesus. What do you want? I would like you to invite me in. Why? Well, so I can save you. Save me from what? What I'm going to do to you if you don't let me in. <laughs> like I'm sending you to, like, it's just not love. And yet we had Wayne Jacobson on a few, uh, a couple months ago. And if you recall, when someone asked him from England, Richard Jones asked him, you know, what's going on in America when it relates to some of the stuff going on, the pandemic and the fear. And he said, it's unfortunate. He said, most of the gospel in our country has, was sown in a spirit of fear and shame. And yes, there's a place where at first fear is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end. And um, so in that little verse, it goes on and says, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind for all these things. The nations of the world seek after, but your father knows what you need, that you need these things. So seek first his kingdom and all these things shall be added to you. There is no fear in love because fear has to do with punishment. Apostle John tells us. Love produces holiness, not fear. God doesn't have any fear. He's just love. Love does not have fear. There is no fear in love. And yet, if we operate from a place of fear, there's a place of punishment. We think, and you can't grow. Holiness is not perfection. Holiness is wholeness. Holiness is completeness. Holiness is us coming to be who we truly are. And so this gets really interesting. So if, if, any parents out there that are going to be listening to this, you know, later on, this is, if I was to go back and speak to the younger version of myself, I would say, let's go after that. Let's go after with, with tenacity. I'd find the art and lean and litzes of the day. I'd find whoever around me that could sit. Can we go after this fear? Let's cause it, it is a byproduct of orphan living and the orphanness that's in my heart it's got a bunch of scar tissue. There's a bunch of negative numbers going on inside of me. I am worried about what to put on the table. I am worried about how to provide. I am worried about this and that. I am worried about my kids. I am constantly worried. There's an anxiousness on Jen and I's 35th wedding anniversary, I think it was, or we were after a school, we're sitting out in, in Canmore and she says, it's our anniversary in, in the summer. And she says, 
let's go back and what was your what was the favorite time of our marriage for you and i said man <laughs> that's gonna put me on the spot uh and uh and i said well you go first and she goes oh it was when i was at home raising the kids it was just so much fun to be around the kids and just there was just so, such peace and love and joy and i said that's funny that what I would consider the, the most stressful years, those first few years, because if I lose my job, I'm thinking I can't put foot on the table and I'm having to jump through hoops in the corporate world and I'm working harder and, and fear is driving. I didn't use that language, but I realized how much I did not know the peace, this love. You know, we all know this, I think in our heads, but our hearts are catching up with it. But what our hearts believe about the goodness of God determines everything about our life. And we can know in our heads the, the verses, but do our hearts know he's good? When Peter says, I'll never deny you, his heart didn't yet fully see. He, he, he's basically saying, I will unconditionally love you. Agape love. That's, and Jesus, you can't because the, the spirit of God, my, Ezekiel 36, the promise of the father, to pour his spirit inside of you, his very nature into you hasn't happened yet. So you can't actually love unconditionally. You just can't as much as you want to until that comes. And that's what he's after. So young parents listening to young men, you know, going through it and you're going, that's okay. You're going through it because he's, he's undoing fear. He's Kating. He's going after the scars. He's going after the wounds that created it after the lies that layered up and just on, on and on. If I could go back, what was really interesting to me, I don't know if it was true for you, but I remember thinking I became a Christian and how come they didn't teach parenting in school? I remember thinking that would have been a good thing. <laughs> so, and I, I could take you upstairs my study and I have a whole bookshelf on books on how to parent. Like I had to figure, I thought I got to learn this stuff, man. I got to, and you can try. It says date your daughters. It does this, do that. And you'll give it your best college try. You put all your willpower into it until uh, we're doing some layoffs, <gasps> you know, or, or this happens or that happens. And all of a sudden you're not thinking God loves me and we're still cool. And you're going to let your kids walk and watch you get right down to the last quarter of milk in the fridge and just, and you're still at peace. <laughs> you're actually now going into hyper mode, trying to figure out how to fix that thyself. And all those books started to become levels that are written with idealism that were really hard to imagine getting to. And, and they, they would allude to this that we're talking about that you need to find your security in him, et cetera. But nobody talked about the process, the deep process to the heart, at least not that I remember. And I'm sure everybody has their own story in this, but I, I remember going, dang it, Jesus, why didn't you get married and have kids? I could have just, I, I, I want to be like you. And so I'll just do what you did. I'll just mimic you, but you didn't do it. You know, it was six years ago. When God finally asked that question, answered the question, why didn't you get married? Why didn't Jesus get married? Even for being a husband, it would have been nice to have not just Paul's write some verse, hey, husbands, love your wife, and Christ loved the church. Well, 
I'd go to these marriage seminars as a single and they say, why you're not married? Why do you want to, because I need to learn how to do this. Okay. And I took copious notes and all they would hear, I would hear what my heart heard was Jesus sacrificed for the church. So that's what, so that's what I thought marriage was. I'm going to sacrifice everything. And, and, and my motive, guess what was fear, fear that I'm not doing, I'm not good enough fear that you'll be abandoned, fear that you're going, whatever, it goes on and on and on. With all the Christianity, and yes, there was he in the midst of it. I can remember the moment when my mom showed up and she put this big box of papers on my table. And she said, Brant, this is the history of the law of the court case that he's now a Supreme Court justice in Canada, but he was my lawyer back in the day. And he was the one trying to win from the government a widow's pension for me because your dad died three days before his 10th anniversary as a um, officer. And she says, I don't have the capacity to to do this anymore. Not that I, she, she goes, but if you want to pick up the charge, you can. And she handed this box to me. And we had three small kids at that point or two at that point. Um, I just left the church had laid us all off and they hadn't paid us at all. And, and I was feeling pretty like I'm, I, I'm just a terrible provider and all that stuff. Jane goes to bed my mom leaves and I'm looking at this box and I open it up and I start reading letters about what my father's character was like. And, and it's kind of like when someone reads, gives you words from how God sees you. If we stopped right now and, and, and Lance led us into, let's just stop and listen to what the Father wants to say about each one of us, I guarantee what you'd hear being spoken to you from other people, from him through others, he'd be revealing what he knows about you through someone for your benefit, and it would be positive. And I started reading that people are writing letters of what they could see, the godliness that was in my dad and his character, his, his Christ-like character. And now I start weeping. I'm 30 years of age, 31 to two at the time. Is I that old? No, maybe a bit older. And I'm, I feel like I am not even close to this. And it starts to strike me what I've lost by not having a father. And I was thinking that guess what? That this was that all that's supposed to happen from a natural father. That's really what I still thought that this must be. And I didn't get it. So now I'm starting to grieve, which is an interesting way for God to start to bring the healing. I got to reveal it. And then something happened. He just reminded me of this. And I'm, I don't think I've ever publicly shared it, but I'm sitting at the kitchen table and at probably 1.30 in the morning weeping. And I didn't want anybody to know that I was feeling so inadequate and I can't, I feel like, and this presence comes and for those who know Mark Head, some he you know says where's where is he for you right now? Is he around you? Is he behind you? Is, but I I look back, he was right there, and I thought it was my physical father. And to this day, I, I'm sure it was just my heavenly father, but he was speaking to me through my father, and it was just these words: "I'm proud of you." I'm pr-, and I just wept more and more, and it was just this moment. And I look back and guess what? Every one of us will find out that in our lives, in the darkest of times, he has he didn't just show up when we got saved. He has been working constantly. 
in those moments. And these are, these are the sweet moments for us as quote, learning how to parent or learning how to do whatever is, is really understanding that he's with us and he's in it. So I'm going to go back to a minute here because why couldn't have Jesus got married or at least gotten and then had kids? Cause then we could have mimicked him. We could have just done it, you know, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And I don't have to repeat that story, but I, I remember thinking, isn't that, that's what's happening? Aren't we supposed to become like Jesus? And so we start to do what he's doing, but he didn't get married. So how do we learn that? And, and as Christ loved the church, love your wife. Okay. But guess what? I remember the moment, gosh, talking to John Hutch and said, I had a hard time, you know, with this, you know, this first nations gentleman who's street corner, begging for money outside of my office tower downtown. And I unconsciously would avoid him. And sometimes I would give him something, but all of a sudden I realized, why am I avoiding? What am I afraid of? I'm afraid of something. I'm afraid. I don't know how to treat him. Should I give him my more money? What should I do? And so I figured it all out. And I said to John Hutch one day, I said, I could give him money or I could say, gold and silver I don't have because I think the money's going to go to wrong stuff just the way he's living. So, so maybe what I'm supposed to do, logically figure it out and do what Jesus is because sometimes he gave a cup of water and sometimes, you know, like in, do gold and silver I don't have, but what I do have is this, Jesus. So let me pray for you. And do I, is that what I'm supposed to do with fearful evangelism techniques that are kind of in your face? Is that what's going on? Or maybe I'm supposed to do something even more radical. Maybe I'm supposed to say, hey, are you open to being helped? I'll pay for your education. I'll find a way to get you trained or something. You know, instead of giving you fish, teach you how to fish. And I, I, I wanted to work this through because I wanted to know the right answer. How many want to know the right answer and how to parent? The right answer and how to be a, a husband or wife? <laughs> like, what's the right one? <laughs> And so I go to John and I said, John, you know, so which one is it? What, what, and I said, what would Jesus do in that moment? And he, and he smiled at me and he looked and he says, exactly, Brent. What would Jesus do? And I went, hey, you're not missing. I'm asking you, what would Jesus do? Tell me, tell me, give him a cup of water, teach him how to fish. You know, what, what is it? He says, well, exactly, man. What would Jesus do? No, no. What? And then it, the penny dropped. He was trying to get me to draw truth out of me. What would Jesus do? I'm looking for the answer and I'll follow it. What would Jesus do? And then the, the verse just popped in again. The Holy Spirit had to show up. He would only do what he saw his father doing. He'd only say what he hear his father saying. And if I could speak now to every young man or, or parent, if you want to know how to parent, it would be, what's your father saying? What's your father doing? He told me he would father me. Second Corinthians 6, verse 12, I will be a true father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. Storge love is what we never got perfected in our hearts. And that's the familial love it's called. That's the love that, that forms and shapes us. And because it's not possible in an orphan world 
at least in the perfect, even when it's our parents are, are good, we were designed to have that perfectly form us from him. And guess what? It's not just he's our heavenly father. He is fathering and mothering us. If, if I was to sit down with every young man and when, say, if there's one thing that I would ha- take away for you that underlines everything, whether you're a single mom or a single dad or married or challenging marriage, or focus on letting him father and mother you. Let him, and you'll know when you're leaning on your own understanding. You'll know because you'll go to anxiousness. You'll know when the fear is there, when those fears are there. He will never allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you can handle. He'll always give you the way of escape. I just didn't know what it was. I didn't know it was turning to him as a father because I didn't have one. (laughs) I didn't know that's what you did. I didn't know you could get a hug from him. You show up in an A school and someone says, you know, would you like, come on up and are you willing to be a little boy in the arms of your father? I didn't go up to first school or I think I just, no, that's really awkward. I don't can't even remember a man hugging me, at least in a fatherly way. And I'm thinking, man, he's so good though. at slowly taking us on the unique paths for us to get us to the place of receiving this. There is nothing. Let me just read this little thing about Stargate love, but it, it gets really, gets really real. Got to find it here. Storge love, this is parental love. Um, and you know, you to be a parent, you can't give away what you haven't received. And so that's why we do the best we can with what we have. That's why there's no condemnation in it. You can't, you know, but he's constantly after us to, in a sense, to get rid of this fear, go after this stuff and become the story of love. Well, when we don't get it, this love deficit, and for me, it was huge at four months of age. It's, it's really struck, but the love deficit will result in seeking false comforts. It set me up as a young boy to seek every false comfort that was available to a young boy. And that's, you can fill in the blanks. You can, I don't have to describe it all in, in, in graphic detail, but what brings comfort to, to some, sometimes it might be food, sometimes it might be sexual gratification, it might be all sorts of different things. It's just comfort, but it doesn't satisfy. Another one is codependency on others to receive love. You find yourself not even conscious of it, but you start to be codependent on others to receive love. Um, some of us have heard or maybe known of and maybe experienced. Uh, I know of some uh, women that did not get love and they sought it from a husband and that's not working. So I'm going to have children. So at least I'll have children loving me. That's called codependency. And of course, that these things start to grow and grow. Unrealistic expectations of marriage and children is one of the byproducts. And unrealistic expectations that somehow that person is going to satisfy my deepest needs and longings. And boy, that doesn't take that long to find out that doesn't work. Um, At least not perfectly. This is one that really struck me becoming competitive to seek love and approval. If you happen to have a strong will, um, you'll become competitive. Jen and I were married for four months and this guest speaker spoke in the church and he said, there's a couple out here and there's about a thousand people in the audience and and you're thinking of divorce. No, not us. We're married four months. And he stops and says, oh, Tim, the Spirit's saying it's not divorce. It's 
it's just a spirit of competition going on in your marriage. <laughs> and Jen and I looked at each other. That's us. And we walked up afterwards and that's us. We feel like we're, we're, I look back, we were trying to outdo each other to gain each other's approval. It was the craziest thing. We didn't know that language then. This couple looks at us and says, we'll pray for how long have you been married? About four months. And they just start laughing. (laughs) And they go, oh, welcome. Welcome to the revealing. Marriage is about revealing your insecurities, revealing you think it's going to be these things. And like, of course, we weren't listening to all that stuff. We're just, we're feeling guilty and fearful. And But this is a byproduct of of lack of story gay love um, inhibits us from receiving love. A lack of story gay love inhibits us from receiving love. When I went to that first day school and when I met Glenda one day, we were talking about this. I didn't realize I actually had to learn how to receive love. If any of you've gone on the streets and done street ministry, we used to do it all the time. Uh, Friday nights down in, in Stephen Avenue Mall back in the day. And you'd find out how all these kids down there, 85% of them came from middle-class homes. And once you got over your fear of, you know, what you're actually dealing with, you realize they're just people and you can go go up to street people that are just smelling and looking and depend doesn't matter. They just have never had, they, the love deficit is off the chart. But if you try to give them a hug, sometimes, like, sometimes we go, oh, we're just going to, and these, they were just like, all they've known of touch is a, ver- a different version. It's, and it's crazy. They have to learn how to love. Kindness is what leads us to repentance. Kindness is what changes our heart's perspective. We start to see, we start to hear, we start to experience. Jesus told Matthew 13, this this parable of truth of life in him love he's truth when that enters into the soil of hearts some just bounces off but some it starts to grow some it gets choked out why do you talk like that why do you tell those stories then why don't you just say it plainly to them well isaiah they can't see yet their hearts can't see or hear if they could if they think they oh if they think they got it they'll lose it because they they think They've got it. It's not something you think. It's something you experience. And it says, and if they do see and hear, you'll know it because they'll come back and get healed. When love starts to reach us, we can't help but wanting to seek more from him, from the source. I didn't realize God had to draw me into the ministerial context one of the biggest reasons he told me was to wrestle the orphanship out of me. He put enough pressure around me because I was trying to please every. I was, I was looking for love by doing, approving, um, not competing with others. I just, I would stay away from those things. I, I knew I wasn't going to be the best at some, but I'm going to, I'm going to work at it. And, we, and the bottom line is there's only one source that will take care of that deficit, regardless of how much storge love, we had growing up and it's going to be him. And when you start meeting that, it just becomes a cascade. And many of you know this now we've, it's just an ongoing adventure. Another layer comes off, another fear pops up and you're going, man, you know, I've told you this before, but when this started happening to me, 
in my middle fifties or early, I said, God, why couldn't you have started this in my thirties or forties? It would have saved a whole bunch of parenting issues. It would have saved marriage issues. It would have, I just feel bad for all the people in the church that have had to put up with me. Like, why couldn't you have started this sooner? And his answer was, Brant, this is the first time you've been surrounded by people who love and are not going to expect anything from you. And he listed off about five people. And I realized what he was doing. He just showed me like a broken bone. When he realigns us, righteousness is right alignment. To be rightly aligned. If you're hungering and thirsting for it, 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 you will be filled, he says. It's just when you hunger and thirst for it, it's going to come to you at his speed, but he's got to align things properly. And you know when you align a broken bone, you, sometimes you have to re-break it. There's a little bit of pain. The, the scar tissue is there. It has to be cleaned out sometimes. It, it, it has to be reconnected rightly. And then it has to heal. We all want healing like now, heal me. But guess what? He has to rightly align us to heal us. There's a right alignment in the healing. We know it in the physical sense, but spiritually, that healing that comes from some of the pain is in we resist it. We're afraid of it. And that's why it gets so interesting because we still, still look for love from others. And, you know, God forbid we think it's some pastoral person that they're going to love me or, you know, and the reality is going to be him. But boy, he's got to rightly align these things. And then it, when they get aligned, then in the natural, you put a cast, you put some support around it for the sake of letting it heal. We can plant the seeds. We can water the seeds. Those seeds are him, his love in forms of truth, in forms of, but he brings the increase. He creates the healing. It's love that does that. And I find that, man, if I could go back and talk to the younger version of myself, it would be, and I, and I had an inkling of this, and I'm, I think this is tickling me, and I'm, I think I know, and I'm doing okay, but I have these doubts. Hmm, why not humble myself, become like that little child, seek out those that are living in this, and start drinking it in to start, let's get, when my, my middle daughter, when Katie, when we started our healing journey in, in U-Church, and Wendy, you were, you know, so key in that. And listen, Arlene, it was LL. And I remember we're starting to host them. Remember, we're starting to host them. I've never been to one, but we're hosting them. I'm the pastor. <laughs> I'm, I remember don't thinking that I was too good for it, but I just remember, I think, Arlene, let's, when you went to your first healing retreat at LL, didn't you get put into service right away? Like, I remember you telling me it was years before you even had a, a whole session for yourself because you were so man, we're so wired to, to give away. And, you know, my, my daughter says to me, well, dad, do you think God's healed up everything inside of you that he needs to heal up? And I get, oh, Katie, I know there's more. I can tell when I feel anxious. And I, I now know that there's these signals and, and fear that pops up and, you know, and, uh, and I think I've answered her question. Smart me, but the Holy Spirit's smarter. <laughs> and says, well, dad, why wouldn't you do everything in your power to get everything healed if you know there's more? You know, for our sake, for your kids, for your wife. 
<laughs> it's like, and I was such a smarty pants. I just, I'd never had anyone be that direct. And uh, guess what? That's Hebrews 12. That's the discipline of our father. And he did it so lovingly. He took, he took the most innocent child and had truth that wasn't shaming. It wasn't guilt. It wasn't loaded with, I don't like you. It was just a question. And I resisted it. I, I, I walked away. I answered, oh, well, you know, it takes time and money and, you know, life's busy. And I just threw all my fig leaves out in front and my excuses. And that was good enough for her. She stopped. I walked to my study and I couldn't sit down. I went, holy crap. I've just lied. I just lied. I, I lied. What, what's going on? And then I, it was fear. What if I go and find out there's a whole bunch more to this stuff? I find it's fascinating, that verse in Hebrews. I don't know what you grew up thinking um, discipline was, but because I was never disciplined as a child, I just, I could be controlled by fear. You just, all you have to do is say you're going to leave or give the impression that I'm not, I just, I will, I would respond to that. But I never got disciplined. So now that was one of my big fears. How do I discipline children? Do I use the Old Testament? Spare the rod, spoil the child, that kind of stuff as a father. But just listen to this. You've all heard these verses, but Hebrews 12, my child, don't underestimate the value of discipline and training of the Lord God. Don't get depressed when he has to correct you. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. The Aramaic there, did the study, the Aramaic says, it's translated, the Lord shows his nurturing love to those he is sanctifying. In other words, discipline for him, he never does it in anger. He loves, he nurtures. That was pure love coming through my daughter with that question. And, he, and even if I'd avoided it, another year or maybe a few months go by and someone else God would use to bring something. And it wouldn't have felt, in my prime particular case, it wouldn't have been in any way shameful. Unfortunately, a lot of our Christianity tries to use fear to get us fixed. Even sometimes we do that as spouses to one another. You know, you better, you need to, you have to. But when my daughter said, why wouldn't you? She asked a question, why wouldn't you? I was like, wow. So our desire, father's desire, fathers don't frustrate your children with no-win scenarios is one of the verses that, that Paul writes. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Why is, how is Paul writing that? There's no indication that he was a, a father. How is he getting this revelation? Well, he said he got everything from Jesus, from sonship. So when it says fathers, don't frustrate your children with no-win scenarios, he's, he's describing gods like that. He knows when you go back and you look at the way God fathered the human race, he didn't chase the prodigal son story. The son comes and says, you know what? You're a great guy. Love it. Thanks for the inheritance. You gave me my life. I got my skills, my abilities. I can do, do what I want. Can you give me my inheritance now? And there's no conversation. That story bugged me for the longest time because my version of parenting, you need to sit down and have one of those conversations. <laughs> 
potentially. I was never, I could never get to that discipline, but, but I realized all along he showed me how to father, be a father by fathering me. And to the degree that I could receive it, it would pass through the degree that I didn't, it wouldn't. And so I, I now know I could say to the young dads, like, you know, you're, it's first about, it's the, the analogy of getting on that plane and the stewardess pulls out the, the little airbag and shows you the, the steps of, if these things pop down, here's how you put this mask on and make sure you do your first, yourself first and then do your kids. And, and I'd go for years of my Christianity, I'd go, that is just not Christianity. That's selfishness. Take care of yourself first. <laughs> And then when you realize Jesus saying, love others, love your wife, the way Christ loved the church, Paul says, and Jesus tells the disciples, love others the way I have loved you. Deuteronomy says, teach, walk with your children, teach them, get this into your heart and then into theirs. What are they talking about? This, this, this understanding of love receive it. You can't give away what you receive it. I remember the moment when God used it. He said, the reason why you put that, I remember someone finally said to me, well, Brian, I get what you're saying, but if you put your mask on your kid first and, and, but you pass out before you get yours on, they don't know how to put it on you and you leave them fatherless <laughs> by your gesture. And he, he, he said, it sounds kind of oxymoron, but you put yours on first and then you can help them. In other words, this is not about trying to be a great parent. It's about becoming a great child to a great father. And the more you receive his love and the more you allow him to nurture through those fears that we've been talking about, because that's he's after. If he can go after the fears, if he can go after the roots of those fears, perfect love casts that out. And I think most of the people, when, when we get honest about it, it's fears that we're talking about. Fears about seeing, knowing, all those ones I read earlier. And this is incredible. And how does he do this? Well, he fathers in first second second six twelve, you know, I will be a father to you. And he disciplines us, but he never disciplines out of anger. Do you remember that he has no fear because he is love? Fear can't exist in love. It exists in us. The one attribute that we have that he doesn't because we can live, our hearts can live outside of love. But his love comes and it can comes in the form of discipline, not smacking us around or making us feel that that's not love. Love will be direct, kind, and it'll always speak the truth in love. The, the truth is love, actually. And he knows how to speak it. As parents, we don't know some of this. So we'll speak the truth, but it's not out of love. It's, you know, don't do that. Don't do this. You know, well, I've watched, I've watched my little granddaughter and she's incredible on how much she just exhibits life and, and love. But the minute you say, if he has a tone in your voice, no, almost like a fearful, uh, I, we noticed that she just, she would run and go just get on her knees and put her head on the floor and hide. And I was like, wow, she is that her heart is that sensitive. Cause the way we said it, I may have been just a reaction, you know, it just comes out of us, 
does it was not love it was it was hurtful and we, so you, you quickly fix that up and you you work on that but you go wow how much of that did we do in our parenting in our lives that we parented from that place and yet god can undo it all like he's he doesn't have the long talk with the prodigal son he doesn't give him the what fors he's laid out the the law if you will but if you're going to do what you're going to do, there's a reason for that. So I'm not going to give you all the solutions here for those who are going to be people that listen to this later as parents, but there's lots of great new products, if you will, new books, new lives that are being talked about things like grace-based parenting. And, and it, so it counters, it goes against a lot of stuff, um, but it's not greasy grace. It's not get away with anything, but the, the important point is be as, the more we're in love, the more it'll come out of us. And it doesn't matter what age our children are. We think children means being when they're childish. That's a, that's a form of their life. But my kids are now and they're getting older and I'm still a father. But I'm mostly revealing the father now. Before I was trying to be one. But now I keep, now the goal is to keep revealing his nature. Hope this is making sense. Um, had all these notes, went all over the place. Give you a couple last statements here. Proverbs 27.10 says, Never give up on a friend or abandon a friend of your father. It's one of the keyest verses of my life. God used that to reconnect me. Because I remember saying, okay, God, why is this jumping off the page? I didn't know my father. And then he said it. Who's your father? Oh, you're my father. Now, I didn't experience him because I'd never experienced fathering and mothering. And so I, I didn't know him in that intimate way. But now I knew that to be true. And okay, don't abandon a friend of you. Well, who are your friends? And that led me to reconnecting with inviting John and Rita Hutchinson to come to you church when it was about 30 people and speak on the father heart of God. And the twice and Aunt Olive shows up. And and I'm thinking these little signals, these little points, you'll find that he keeps leading us down the way. Psalm 2710, when when my father and mother forsake me, could have been in the womb, could have been in my case, premature death, with my dad at four months of age, could have been when you're all along the way. It doesn't matter when it happens, because it always happens because there is no perfect parent at some point they can, they can't love us with unconditional love until I think there's possible that God can love through them for us, for sure gets better and better. But when you feel it's not about them, but when you feel forsaken, that's why it's not about the perfection of the parents. It's about our heart sensitivity. We were born in a fallen world. Our, we were born orphaned in our heart to him. Fear can become a real thing real quick. Fear of abandonment, fear of this, fear of that, regardless of how good or bad the parents are. Great parents will affect well-being of a child's life, but as parents, we all need to know this, that our goal isn't to be perfect. Our goal is to lead them to their real father, to, to the source of real love, to model as much as is possible by not 
I'm pretending to do it, just literally living it. And when you fall short, being humble and being able to go and confess, it just, it, it really becomes, because then the Lord will take care of me. I remember starting to have conversations with my kids going, you know, I guarantee I'm, I'm not going to, dad, you were late picking me up for soccer again. <laughs> and I, and I'd make these, I, I promise. And then finally I sat down with my daughter and whether she remembers it or not, but I just like, you know what? I'm so sorry. And I got a feeling it's going to happen again. I'm just not really good at getting out of conversations and getting through the traffic. And, and um, that didn't make me a better parent. It just made me real. And I said, you know, it's, this will create a, a journey for you. So when my father and mother forsake me, when David wrote this, he had a, a unique awareness. And I think it's quite unique that he was a man after God's own heart. And he wrote, then the Lord will take care of me. And you'll find this in, in your journey, regardless of what age you are. I guarantee if you let him, he'll show you, in my case, all the way back to my, to my, um, my dad's funeral some of the first evidences of when he was showing up, taking care of me by speaking to my mom at the funeral, doing this, doing that, different people that came in my life. I didn't get saved by myself. I didn't come to the knowledge of him because I was seeking him. Literally love kept coming at me and through people, the imperfection of them. And as much as I wanted to kind of then tag onto them and make them my best friends or try and that was never the point. The point was they kept showing me him as parents. Our goal is not to be the perfect parent and become, try to be God to them. We don't have to try. We just be us and let him love through us. And does that make sense? Hope that makes a bit of sense. First Corinthians six eighteen is, I tell you, I will be a true father to you and you will be my beloved sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. The, the greatest desire that I think we have, all of us, whether we're parents or children, is this. Paul says in Romans 8, 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. As parents, we're still children. We're still sons. And our heart is to be led by the Spirit, led by the very nature of love itself within us. And it doesn't matter how many years have passed or whichever. That is what will allow those that are even our natural children and spiritual children, if you will. That's our, our desire for them that they would know him, to know his spirit, to know who they are, and to walk in them. I believe this verse in Colossians isn't just for um, for the Pauls of the day. This is his verse. Sorry, I just got to find it here, and I'll read it. And um, I believe this is also the heart of a parent. This is the heart of the father as it grows in us that we long for this for other people. And so I just want to bless you with this in the sense that this is something that I believe is at the core of, of how we walk in this. Um, Paul says, we, we share, we, we, 
think of Deuteronomy, you know, teach these things to your children. We share, we, we preach, we do this to awaken hearts and bring every child, every person into the full understanding of truth. Remember, truth is not information, it's a person. It has become my inspiration and passion to labor with a tireless intensity, with his power flowing through me, to present every person the revelation of being his perfect one in Jesus. Labor to present every person, every believer, the revelation of being his perfect one. If there's anything that that I think as parents that we are longing for is our children's children. It's not just our children, but our children's children and us as children that we would know how special we are to him. That we're perfect in his eyes. Fear is not necessary. Perfect love casts that out. There is no love in fear because fear believes in punishment. And our parts of our heart, when we're wrestling through that, guess what? We'll impart who we are. And you can't stop that. You can't say, I don't, I can't, I'm going to try and be something different. It's who we are. And the honesty with that, the authenticity of that is really what paves the way of the weakness. This verse, I don't think most parents think about it this way, but I think if someone had come to me some odd years ago and said, let's just work on this for a year or two. Let the truth of this get into you, Brant. John chapter 5, verse 19. Even Jesus himself said, I can do nothing of myself. You could put in there dot, dot, dot. I can't parent of myself. I can't make a living of myself. I can't provide of myself. I can't be a perfect husband or wife of myself. He says, I can do nothing of myself, only that which the Father does through me. That union, incredible. It's not. And if that, if, if, if someone could have unpacked that one for me when I was a, a, becoming a new dad or newly married and and let's just unpack this. What does it mean you can't do it? Well, but I want to. I, yeah, that's great. But what, let's, let's talk about we're the source. Let's go to the roots. Let's go. And I do this. this I do this. This is one of the neatest things that the generation coming doesn't have to spend 40 years in the wilderness. Right. And, uh, and instead of us looking backwards and going, oh, I could have, I should have. No, no. You're the Joshua and Caleb's now. We get to go and, and walk with them into that. Um, they, as some people like Stephen Hill say, you know, the reason why we, we share like this is that if it makes your journey shorter, that you know, it doesn't have to take your whole life to, to wake up to these things. I just find it fascinating that Paul's life, you know, that there's no condemnation. He, he operates in this place of being actually love has washed away all of that stuff that, that made him the, the, the cynical religious guy that he was. 
and you never you never see him bring it up and go, yeah, I was such a you know I count all that stuff as past, lost, done, it's there. But we live now. I can do all things in Him. I can't do it, but I can in Him. He's doing it through me, and now. And you and I, there's people now. I don't know if Paul even had children. I don't think he did, according to my understanding. But how many people have been affected by the fact that he let the God father him <laughs> and that life is coming through him? And so in a lot of ways, we are becoming just like Jesus. That's the whole point. And when people look at us and experience us, we want them to experience more and more of that. They don't experience fear or guilt or I told you so's or if there is some quote discipline that comes through, it will be in the most loving. We don't do it. God's doing it through us. And I think that's one of the greatest challenges of parenting is, you know, you don't even know your own heart typically when you start it all off and you have this great revealing going on about your methods and your ways. And why did that upset me so much? And, on and on it goes. And uh, it's just a beautiful signal to then turn, find those sources, those people, those gifts in the body that can help us work it through. So.